Hi, I'm John. And I'm Jeff. And uh, welcome to the next episode of Love and Other Investments. Um, I thought today Jeff and I might talk a little bit about one of the ways that um, couples try to push back against um, finding themselves in a place in their relationship where arguing over finances has really kind of started to stack up and cause some problems. And I think one of the things that couples do, and, and tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but there's kind of a moment where you go, hey, there's something broken in the way that we communicate. There's something broken about you. Um, you know, yeah, maybe, a lot of finger pointing. A lot of finger pointing. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we need to go to therapy. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe we've reached that magic moment where, you know, therapy is the answer to this. Sure. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of interesting because I think you and I would both say that you don't have to be a mess to benefit from therapy. Oh, for sure. So jump into that for just a minute. Yeah, I mean, there there's a common misconception, I think, about therapy, which is to say that it is directly analogous to medicine. If I have a cold and the symptoms that go with the cold, then I should go to the doctor, which of course is true. I mean, mm-hmm. For medicine, of course, you know, go to the doctor when you're sick, right? Right. But... Um, in in the therapy world, um, one does not need to be sick, metaphorically, figuratively, in order to benefit from talking with someone. And, you know, I can hear all the people cock their heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, what are you talking about, Jeff? Um, so, you know, we have this diagnostic manual mm-hmm. called the DSM. You probably heard of that. It's It's around. I mean, people sort of have a general understanding of what this giant manual is. It lists all the mental health symptoms that, um, you know, are sort of currently thought to be um, used in categorizing uh, disorders, right? Okay. Diagnosis. Does that make sense? Sure. You might, you might have significant problems in life, but not find your experience located in that manual. So I'll give you an example. What if you're going through a divorce? Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no uh, code, diagnostic code for divorce in the DSM. But yet it's very distressing. Very distressing. Very distressing. Disorienting. Right. You know, lots of those things. Right. So I don't think um, we should be thinking about when to go to therapy based on whether or not you have a mental health diagnosis. I think you should go because something feels distressing or upsetting, or there's something in life that's holding you back and you feel like you want to grow mm-hmm. and you need someone who's outside you and not in your circumstance, not in your orbit, who doesn't really know you, who can give you their thoughts and from their experience, give you, you know, feedback Mm -hmm. about what's going on in your life. You know, and I think we're kind of programmed to think that way because we have things like, you know, physical therapy. When do you go to physical therapy? You go Mm -hmm. after surgery or after an injury. Right. Um, You know, what about occupational therapy? Well, you, you know, when you're, again, you're trying to come back from a a brain injury or, you know, who knows what else. Right. Um, You know, speech therapy. It, it, It is, when we use the word therapy in, you know, English, we're typically assuming that there's something broken. Something wrong, yeah. Um, 
And so I think a lot of times when we think, oh, there's something wrong in our relationship because we're fighting about money, we kind of think, well, who would be, who is the therapist? Is it the, is it a physical, occupational speech? No, it's yeah, psychotherapist, marriage and, right. yeah, it's the psychotherapist. Right. And, you know, maybe, maybe there is something wrong. Maybe there is something that, that, that you could benefit from that you could find in your book. But I think more often than not, um, I see people say, well, you know, we have this problem in our relationship and we need to call it something. We need to give it a name. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes just saying, oh, you know, we, 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 we argue about money, so we probably need a therapist is, I think, in some ways, kind of a defense mechanism just to say, what do we call this thing? Well, we call it a, a mental problem or we call it a relationship problem. Sure. Um, or if I'm feeling spicy, I might just call it my spouse's problem. Yeah. Back to the finger pointing kind <laughs> Back of Back to the right. finger pointing. So do you ever see people um, say, hey, we really, you know, the only way we're going to solve this is if we go to therapy. Have you ever seen people say that type of thing with no intent to go to therapy? Oh, for sure. I mean, this is a... W- Therapy, the idea of going to therapy can use, be used as a club, mm-hmm. right, to, to whack your partner with, mm-hmm. you know, sort of suggesting that they're crazy, mm-hmm. and the only way this is ever going to get better is if they admit that they're crazy and they need to go to therapy. I mean, surely you've heard of spouses having or partners having arguments like that. You know, I think when we have arguments, we tend to want to believe that the problem is not residing inside us. We've not contributed to it. It's really us reacting rationally to the other one being irrational, Mm -hmm. right? That's how we think of it. And of course that's not true in the vast majority of cases. We're both participants in whatever the dilemmas are, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to use a club and beat on your partner a little bit, you know, just tell them they need to go to therapy without the actual express intent of actually following right, through on it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I would say getting back to some mechanics here, you know, couples that have consistent arguments or fights over money really typically have two components to it. They're rarely 50-50, but there's two strong components. And one is a financial component. Sure. You know, you're fighting because there's something that's scarce. You know, if, if I have, you know, $10,000 in the checking account and we and all the bills are paid and I know there's another check coming in and I go out and, you know, blow $40 on a dozen golf balls, that's probably not, not that it couldn't, but that's probably not going to spark an argument. Sure. Um, but if we have $60 in the checking account or $30 in uh-huh. the checking account and I go spend $40 on golf balls in... On a, on a credit card, sure, I might be risking a moment. An argument? A moment. Uh-huh. A moment of intense fellowship. <laughs> right? Hey, especially, hey, argument. <laughs> especially if it's not the first time that it's happened. Or for a myriad of reasons, I'm doing it to reciprocate the reason that we only have $40 in the checkbooks because right. you spent it all. Right. Uh, you know, you can, you can see how... Sure. Anyway. Um, so I think we've got to recognize that there are two active components. There's a financial component that deals with the fact that we're feeling stress because there's not enough money to go around and do all the things that each of us wants to do. This is, you're talking about the objective numbers, right? The Correct. addition and subtraction. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and it can be in lots of structures. It can be, I don't think we're saving enough for retirement and you're out spending money. It can be, I don't feel good about the amount of money that we have in savings and you're out spending money. Right. Or, you know, and it can be about on the, it doesn't just have to be on the expense side. It can be on the income side. You know, I really wish you would apply yourself and ask for a raise or go for the promotion you know, you've passed up two promotions because you think they're going to be stressful, but we really would benefit from the resources. Right. Those types of, those right. are all open arguments about not being on the same page just financially about what it is that we want to do and how it is that we want to do sure, it. Sure, sure. But I think there's another aspect to it, and I think you've alluded to it just a little bit in your conversation before, um, and that is that each of us has grown up with different experiences and so what I think is the right way to deal with our scarcity or what I think is the right way to deal with savings obviously seems right to me and you don't seem to connect to it or my spouse doesn't seem to connect to it. Sure. And so you must be, my spouse must be nuts or wrong. responsible or wrong yeah. or inconsiderate. Right. Selfish. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, you're, Obviously, we've talked about this many times. This is not a new subject in our discussions. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there are really two components, the one you just mentioned and the second one, which is sort of the relational slash psychological part about how we think and feel about money. That part of our experience of money has to do with how we grow up. The people who are important to us in our growing up teach us overtly and covertly about what money is for, about what it does and what it means. So, you know, you were alluding a minute ago to the more objective side of thing, like what, what happens under circumstances of scarcity. If you come from a family where there's always enough, you're multimillionaires, let's say, and there's always enough, then scarcity has a different meaning than if you come from a family where they fell below the poverty line. It's a totally different meaning. So how people make meaning of money determines what they're going to do, to some extent, in their relationship with their partner. Especially when they're under stress. Especially under stress. And as you point out, scarcity is certainly one way in which people find themselves in duress. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I want to bring something up here. And I've kind of set you up to do it. Um, I guess I manipulated you. We'll call that fun. <laughs> um, no. And that is that you mentioned that we talk about this a lot in our videos. Yeah. And uh, it's something that I picked up that, that you've done quite a few times, which is to repeat a basic concept, even though we've talked about it before. Right. So our listener hears you say, hey, you grew up in a place that was different than that of your spouse. Right. And then three episodes later, you'll say, hey, you were raised in a family that did things different than the family that your right. spouse was raised in. And then an episode later, you'll go, you know, your spouse was probably raised in a slightly different environment. <laughs> right. So you see a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not always the same, but it's always the same thing. Right. So you're doing that on purpose. Right. You're doing that um, without going, you know, oh, shoot, I'm repeating myself. What are, you, what are you doing? Well, one of the most important things that I think all of us come to understand, or the vast majority of us come to understand at some point in our development, in our life, is that our own perspective is not the only perspective. 
This might sound very simple, and in, in some ways it is. But the truth is we come to that understanding after having some bumps in the road mm-hmm. where somebody has to sort of teach us over time that, in fact, our own perspective is only one of many, many, many perspectives and that it is uh, incumbent on us to be, you know, sort of good family members and good friends and good colleagues and so forth by understanding that my vantage point is not the same vantage point as someone else's. And therefore, you know, they have, they need to have some kind of equal, you know, consideration. So, you know, when I make the point that people grew up in different families, lots, I want them to consider the possibility that they're not right because they're, just because they think a certain thing happens a certain way in their family does not mean that that way is the right way. Because, you know, you've heard the saying, you can be right or you can be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's sort of how it applies to relationships, right? Like you, you, you need to be able to see that the other person's perspective has its own value and its own meaning. And, and in fact, one reason that you're attracted to that person and decided to have a serious relationship with them is because they have a different vantage point that you like. Mm-hmm. You might also not like it sometimes, but especially in arguments, you know, where you think you're right and the other person's wrong. You know, there's an old saying that says that history um, doesn't repeat itself, but historians do. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a twist on the original phrase. And I want to just kind of pull the covers off for a minute and let people see mechanically from a therapy standpoint why it is that you will often repeat the same thing slightly differently or from a different perspective. Why isn't it enough to tell somebody one time that, hey, you were raised in a different family, so be cognizant. Yeah. of the fact that the other person isn't less right than you. Right. Why do you have to repeat it? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, when we grow up, we learn, we're, we're constantly learning. Like, we're mm-hmm. learning machines, really. And we're taking in all of the lessons that happen around us, whether they're explicit or implicit, you know, obvious or not obvious, hidden, you know. And we draw conclusions in other words, whatever it was we learned from a particular lesson, we, we apply that mm-hmm. to everywhere else, right? Mm-hmm. We generalize that knowledge, which is a good thing mm-hmm. until it's not a good thing. And in that circumstance, we might make mistakes about the generalization we're making and, and make an error. And so when I repeat things, one reason I do that is because I'm trying to slowly over time, introduce an idea that is not, doesn't just have intellectual value. The first time I said it, it, that's its intellectual value, right? Like everyone can understand the concept. It's not really a hard concept at all. Sure. But the second time and, and the two plus times after that, I'm attempting to say something that kind of, um, um, perturbs the, the, the not quite conscious uh, lessons in one's history it challenges them and and tries to disrupt them in a way mm-hmm. so that 
some new kind of learning could occur over time. So it's a kind of influence, right? Like I'm so attempting- it's a move from saying that I intellectually understand this and I can see how that would apply to other people. Yes. To I intellectually understand that and I'm starting to maybe even ponder the idea that it applies to me. Yes. And then the third time or the 12th th- time right, through- or the 100th time. Or the 100th time right. through, it's, oh, I'm starting to see the places where I do that and that's probably not fair to my spouse. Yes. And maybe I need to listen differently- Yes. Think differently, participate differently. Feel differently. Feel differently. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to say that having uh, having the knowledge, the intellectual or academic knowledge, right, is necessary but not sufficient mm-hmm. to making change. You may need to go through a process where you kind of try to understand a, a particular concept like the one we're talking about right now. But until it's felt in a different way. It's, you're not quite there in terms of changing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of this, and we've talked about this analogy before, but, you know, I know that in order to lose 15 pounds, I need to move more and eat less. Yes, exactly. Intellectually, I totally get that. Totally. That doesn't keep my hands from shoving things into my face. Correct. Because it's true, but it's not and, true yet to me in and, a way that and changes And think about behavior. all the mental gymnastics you do when that happens, mm-hmm. because it's not just that you're taking food in your and putting it in your mouth. You're also saying something like, oh, well, I'll ride the bike, you know, uh, 20 minutes more to make up for this. Which I won't. Right. And so and, there's this internal argument where what I've learned in the past about how to eat and when to eat and why I eat and how it makes me yes. feel to eat yes. is in conflict with Correct. my intellectual we, state. We all... All have internal conflict almost all the time running in the background. So we've done this all on purpose. We've had this conversation on purpose to help answer the question of will therapy help eliminate some of the arguments that we have as a couple around finances? And so I hope what people are starting to hear is, hey, there's a financial component that deals with arithmetic. Right. That one's easy because it's arithmetic. It's not calculus. It's not you know, heat transfer, we're not talking physics or rocket science. But I hope what people could see is it's the same equivalent of saying, you know what, if you could just move a little bit more and eat a little bit less, you guys will, you know, not not have as many financial problems and think I've solved something. We come into these relationships with um, long established patterns of how we view the world and how we view our needs. And money becomes just one of those resources, not unlike food. Right. Sure. And so when we get into arguments, we're we're basically doing this thing all over again. And so I just want to throw out there that if you're having reoccurring arguments um, over finances, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be in therapy. That's not my point. Sure. But my point is, is there are things that are going on that you came to this moment, and it may have taken you ten or fifteen years to learn a pattern that's very difficult to unwind. Right. It, it may have been a pattern that was established through big events or just lots of small events. Right. And it is not an easy thing, and it takes a lot of effort um, to interrupt those patterns and listen differently and participate differently um, in those conversations about finance. Yeah, therapy isn't going to stop people from having arguments. That's not the point. That's not the function of what therapy is, right? 
we're not, we're not necessarily trying to prevent arguments. We're trying to help your arguments be an expression of love mm-hmm. rather than control or mm-hmm. or conflict. Um, we're trying to help it so that when you approach the other person, the person that you love, you're doing so with openness and kindness and thinking about their perspective, thinking about what they need, not just your own needs, instead of finger pointing or having contempt or blowing them off or whatever. You know, we're, we're trying to help people have a reasonable pathway to solving the conflict, the problem that's come up in their life. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we're doing in this um, podcast, in these episodes, first of all, is not therapy because we're not... Yeah, I'm not, not your talking, therapist, yeah, no. You're not talking to somebody specifically. No. And you couldn't possibly listen into you know what they're saying over and over again. And you're not their financial advisor. There's right. there's no financial planning going on right. in, these, in these episodes. Right. But yet, we're talking about the tools and we're talking about the common conditions that people find themselves in. Right. And, and what are some of the structures that exist in relationships that make it difficult to escape these patterns. Right. And, and I think that's what's, what needs to be, you know, if you're listening in with us, why would you stay with us? Because we're going to, you know, we're going to be talking about things that very likely you do, that even if you're aware of doing them, they are not easy things to change. Yeah, we're, we're trying to understand the complexity, right? Like, because just like this question, you know, the question of is therapy going to help you stop arguing? You know, that that's a loaded question, right? Sure. You and I both know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. It's a much more complex thing to actually think about what would it mean to meaningfully reduce the amount of uh, discord in a relationship. How does one go about doing that, especially around money? Mm-hmm. And we have lots of thoughts about that. Right that are sometimes simple, but never easy. They're all things that need to be handled and played with over time. Yeah. And they need to be um, done together right. with, a, with a curiosity and an openness of, right. of willing to admit that, um, you know, I see blue a certain way and you see blue a certain way. Um, but we've decided to be in this relationship together and we've decided to create something unique to us. And that... While it was really fun at the beginning, we've gotten to the place where now it feels like work. Um, but all the things that we thought were fun about each other probably also still exist. We just need to find a way to work through these new challenges. And so that's what we're trying to do is provide um, information about why you find yourself in these places um, to try to maybe just broaden this, the idea of what it is that we face as couples um, when we're trying to work through these issues. For sure. All right, well, join us again uh, next time when we get together and um, take a whack at some of this stuff. Yeah, see you then. All right.